This is HeartWise, offering practical tips and time-proven guidelines to make your life healthier, happier, and more fulfilling. Today you'll learn simple, Bible-based principles for building and maintaining optimum mental and physical health, all while deepening your relationship with your Creator. I'm your HeartWise host, Charles Mills. Sometimes food can fool you. You think you're eating healthfully and then, bam, you discover a hidden secret of the dark kind. Such is the case concerning rice. Yep, good old brown or white rice. But the problem isn't the grain we all know and love. The problem, in most cases, is cotton. Here to sort this all out for us is our good friend, Dr. Michael Greger. Dr. Greger is founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a physician, author, and internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. He's also the proud daddy of NutritionFacts.org, a website dedicated to serving up cutting-edge clinical nutrition information in a way that even I can understand. Because of all of the above, he's a frequent guest on this program. Dr. Greger, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome back. Happy to be back. Okay, let's talk rice, a perfectly potent source of nutrition. As I hinted a moment ago, much of the problem is tied to king cotton. What's going on? Yeah, farmers in south-central United States control boll weevils, a cotton pest with arsenic-based pesticides, and residual arsenic still contaminates the soil. Now, different plants have different reactions to arsenic exposure. For example, you know, tomatoes don't accumulate much. They've tested a whole bunch of crops. But rice plants, just for some reason, seem to be really good at sucking it out of the ground. So much so that rice can actually be used for uh, what's called arsenic phytoremediation, meaning if you have some contaminated land, you can actually grow rice as a way to clear arsenic out of the soil. Then, of course, you're supposed to throw the rice out along with the arsenic. But in the South, where 80% of U.S. rice is grown, we instead take that rice and we feed it to people, and that could be a problem. Well, now, if rice sucks it out of the ground, wouldn't it in time suck it all out of the ground? If we're not adding more arsenic to the ground, wouldn't the ground in time become clean? Indeed, it's been uh, decades since these arsenic-containing pesticides were banned, but because we used so much, we literally spreading uh, you know, millions of pounds of arsenic into the soil. We've so hopelessly contaminated this soil that, unfortunately, there's going to be too much arsenic there for a very long time. And so what the rice industry did in response is because, I mean, it was such a problem that actually was killing the rice plants. Right. So much arsenic in the soil that the rice plants wasn't growing very well. So instead of just saying, maybe we should grow this rice <laughs> in uncontaminated soil, <laughs> um, what they did is they actually genetically bred these strains of rice that are arsenic-resistant. Unfortunately, People aren't arsenic resistant, right. so by altering the genetics of the rice to better resist the arsenic, they can just accumulate high levels of arsenic without hurting the rice. But unfortunately, the same can't be said for the rice consumer. Mm. Okay, you've started us on a journey now. You've, you've identified the problem that rice grown where cotton used to be grown is sucking up that arsenic into it, and then we feed it to people, and they overcome this by making sure that the rice is resistant, but of course we aren't resistant. Let's begin the journey now for anybody who is listening to this program who says, I love rice. 
First of all, let's dispel some myths here. And I was surprised by some of the answers that you gave here and information you shared on volume 37 of latest new clinical nutrition. And all this, by the way, is available at nutritionfacts.org, listener, if you want to check this out. Let's see if there's a way we can mitigate the arsenic in rice problem. And you identify that if it is grown in soil that has a lot of arsenic in it, well, by default, the rice is going to suck it up and we're going to have it in us when we eat the rice. Are there places on this green earth where there is not such a problem with arsenic in the soil? Yeah, so there was a study, the largest study to date, looked at 5,800 rice samples from 25 countries, and the highest arsenic average came from the United States, unfortunately. Basically, about double the arsenic found in rice out of Asia. And again, that's because we've been using a lot more of these arsenic-based pesticides. But not all of the U.S. Though U.S. rice averages about twice the arsenic of Asian rice, rice grown in California has significantly less arsenic than rice grown in Texas and Arkansas. If you just look at California rice, actually the arsenic levels are comparable to rice produced around the rest of the world. That's why consumer reports, for example, suggest brown basmati from California, India, or Pakistan may be among our safest rice choices. And you say Pakistan, India, of course. Now, I did some research after I listened to your DVD. I did some research, and you're absolutely right. There is a brand of rice that is grown and sold out of Sacramento Valley, which is, of course, in California. And that is, a. uh, I think you mentioned this once before, uh, Lundberg uh, rice. Is that right? Yes. They've actually, in response, uh, much of the rice industry... Um, in response to uh, these revelations of high arsenic levels found in rice, were uh, instead of uh, trying to reduce the levels, instead uh, tried to attack the scientists and and yes, and ignore yes. the problem, as one sees unfortunately among too many various food industries. But Lundberg Farms, you know, uh, responded the way one would expect one to respond. Um, and that is they started uh, testing hundreds of samples of their own rice to share the results with the FDA. And, in fact, not just sharing with the FDA. They share with everybody. So you can go to their website, right. um, and, and you know, they, they post their results. And I'd love to see all rice companies do that, compare the amount of arsenic there to some of the other levels found by consumer um, reports, for example, Whole Foods um, actually had the had uh, had the highest uh, arsenic level, but uh, Uncle Ben's, Walmart, yeah. uh, Lundberg, these were some of the uh, safer choices. Okay, so Lundberg, of course, is a source of rice, as is Lone Pine. Lone Pine, I've discovered in Carlisle, Arkansas, is aware of this problem, and they're doing something there as well to help mitigate that. So if you wanna if you wanna get rice, especially in bulk from these distributors, that would be Lundberg and Lone Pine Enterprises, and they are not paying me to say this. I'm just this is research that I've done after listening to Dr. Greger's reports on arsenic and rice. If the genetics is the same between two people and person A sits down in front of an arsenic-laden bowl of rice and this person is a whole food plant-based person and right next to that person is person B and he is a standard American diet kind of person and he eats the same kind of rice from the same source... Is there going to be a difference between the way those two bodies respond to the arsenic in the food? In other words, is there an advantage to being plant-based as opposed to standard American when it comes to this type of problem in this food? 
Well, I mean, there's there's the advantage that you're going to have lower disease risk overall. Okay. Eating, so for example, a half a cup of cooked rice a day increases one's excess cancer risk by about 1 in 10,000. Mm-hmm. So 1 in 10,000 people who eat a half cup of cooked rice a day will get cancer when they would not have gotten cancer if they hadn't been eating the rice. No matter what their diet is, is that what you're saying? So re- regardless of what their diet, their oh, increased excess cancer okay, risk is okay. 1 in 10,000. Okay. Now, your baseline risk for cancer would be much lower if you ate healthier oh, and uh, didn't smoke and had other good healthy okay, lifestyle behaviors, okay. but you would still be increasing your risk by the same amount, and so it starts lower, and so your absolute risk would be lower. But, uh, you know, we want to uh, take every opportunity we can to, in general, try to minimize our exposure to hazardous materials in our environment and diet. Absolutely. And that is why you sort of say to us at the end of all the reports you gave on this video, you say you might want to avoid rice. And the good news is there are so many good things, and you mentioned several there, there are so many good things that we can have to substitute it. I think that's, a, that's the take-home message. If you, if you got to eat rice, you know, there are places where you can get rice at lower levels of arsenic. They're, they're working on that. But if you want to be absolutely safe, you might want to just try one of those substitutes. Am I right in saying that? And there's ways you can cook rice yeah. to decrease the exposure to arsenic. So, for example, if you take your brown rice and you boil it mm-hmm. like pasta, mm-hmm. instead of putting it in a rice cooker, instead of cooking it till it's dry, if you boil it like rice and then put it in a colander, you actually, the uh, half of that arsenic, in fact, if you use enough water, 10 to 1 water to rice, mm-hmm. 60% of the arsenic goes down the drain. And so by choosing lower arsenic varieties, cooking it in a way to reduce arsenic further, if you like rice, that would be the best option. But, you know, if any of these other whole grains like oats or quinoa or, you know, millet or some of these other wonderful whole grains, if you like them just as well, might as well just switch over um, until the rice industry can get their act together. All right. Very good advice from Dr. Michael Greger. Nutritionfacts.org is the website. And listeners, if you want to have good health for yourself and for your family, you will want to visit nutritionfacts.org and check out all of the information he has here on arsenic. Okay, we'll take a short break. When we come back, we're going to go from arsenic to coconut. We're just jumping from the pot into the fire here. We'll talk more with Dr. Greger on our return, so stay right where you are. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Whatever they're suffering with, needing weight loss, having a health issue. We see so much chronic disease. We see so many people that are taking so many medications. The idea of using scripture as a biblical prescription for life, I was able to take this physical and spiritual connection and apply it to my life in a huge way. To me, I think the most successful aspect of this Bible study is the simplicity of it. The book itself is just amazing. I'm Dr. James Markham, and I'm a physician who's privileged to be used by God to bring people out of despair and onto the path of lifelong wellness using a plan that is evidence-based and uniquely biblical. It doesn't matter where you're starting from. Discovering God's simple, sustainable, biblical prescriptions for life will work for you. Biblical Prescriptions for Life is a product of HeartWise Ministries. Start your journey on the path to healing today. Visit biblicalprescriptionsforlife.com. HeartWise with Charles Mills is brought to you by supporters of HeartWise Ministries. 
We are so grateful to be able to follow Christ's example of caring for others' physical needs and then encouraging them to experience a restorative relationship with our Heavenly Father. God intended for life on earth to be immeasurably better than the world we live in today, and He wants to restore His vision for this world one heart at a time. Consider becoming a HeartWise partner and help others catch the vision of what Christ wants to do in their hearts today by visiting us online at heartwiseministries.org. Welcome back to the program. I'm your host, Charles Mills. Our guest today, Dr. Michael Greger. He's a founding member and fellow of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, a physician, author, and internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. His book, How Not to Die, is like awesome. And people are reading this around the world. I understand they're reading this in different languages. Am I correct? Oh, uh, 23. How Not to Die. He lists the, the major causes of death in this country when it comes to uh, food and lifestyle choices. And he says, how not to do that? You don't have to die from those things. It's all right there in his book, How Not to Die. And you can get more information about that, of course, at nutritionfacts.org. Okay, coconut oil. I saw something on Facebook just today, just extolling the, the huge benefits of coconut oil. What is science telling us about this important food source? Oh, yeah. We've known for uh, nearly half a century now that, you know, according to 200 of the country's leading experts in cardiovascular disease, this is a report representing 29 national medical organizations, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology. The coconut oil is one of the most potent agents for elevating the level of cholesterol in the blood. And so dating back to 1955, we have studies, closely consulted studies, where you take people, um, and you experimentally give them the coconut oil, you can see their cholesterol shoot up, you know, 50 points or so. So we just uh, need to uh, minimize exposure to saturated fat in the diet. Now, for most people, that's cutting down meat and dairy. Yeah. So number one source of saturated fat in the United States is uh, dairy consumption, um, particularly cheese, uh, you know, butter, ice cream. Um, and number two source, people think steak, but no, chicken. Mm. Number one is dairy. Number two is chicken. So I mean, that's what we really need to cut down on. But there are these rare sources of plant-saturated fats, and that's the uh, tropical oils. That's coconut oil, palm kernel oil, and uh, cocoa butter. So we really should try to minimize our intake of all saturated fats, um, whether they come from plant sources or animal sources. Does this hold true if you eat the whole coconut? If you just cut down a coconut, split it open, and, and eat, the, eat the meal inside, does the same problem happen? You know, absolutely. Actually, it does not. So as with so many things, mm-hmm. once you refine, uh, uh, once you start processing foods, it changes things entirely. Now, if you give people coconut, whole coconut, like unsweetened flaked coconut, because that includes plant protein, which lowers your cholesterol, and includes plant fiber that lowers your cholesterol. Even though there is that coconut oil inside that whole food, the plant protein and and fiber lowers your cholesterol, while that coconut oil trying to raise your cholesterol overall has a neutral effect. And so you eat coconuts, your cholesterol shouldn't change at all. Now, you say, well, wait a second, shouldn't we even be eating foods that lower our cholesterol, not just have a neutral effect? Like if instead of eating that coconut, you just had a bowl of oatmeal or something, mm-hmm. you'd actually get your cholesterol go down because it contains uh, the fiber and plant protein without that coconut oil trying to go in the opposite direction. Okay, I can see 
that argument. The important thing, though, is not eating things that increase our cholesterol. And that's what happens when you eat coconut oil. When you uh, when you remove the fiber, you remove all those good beneficial nutrients. Just look left with the coconut fat. Then all we have is the movement of our cholesterol up without the countervailing influence of the other beneficial things found in the whole plant food of coconut. And I would assume this would be the same with olives and olive oil, am I right? Oh, yes. In terms of the effects of olive oil on one's artery function, right. you can do studies where you give people, now this is a pretty whopping dose, I think it was like a third a cup of oil. Ooh. There have yet to been studies done on more moderate doses, but if you have people basically chug down a third of a cup of oil, you can see this um, uh, this kind of uh, the, the stiffening of artery function uh, within hours of consumption. The same kind of reaction you see um, with people eating cheesecake, people eating uh, uh, egg McMuffins. Um, these are these are negative effects on arterial function within hours of consumption, and you see that same thing with vegetable oil, including extra virgin olive oil. Now, one would not expect to get that with a whole food source, but olives are kind of the exception because they have salt added to them. Mm. So you think olives as a whole plant food is actually processed. What they do is they brine the That's olives. True. That's they don't true. just pick them off That's the tree. True. What they do is they, they soak them in a salt solution. So actually, olives have a lot of sodium in them. Yeah. And so if you ate a lot of olives, it, it wouldn't so much be the fat in there because there's also <laughs> fiber and, so, and some other beneficial nutrients yeah. in there. But the amount of sodium you'd get eating a you know a handful of olives may actually have that same kind of negative effects on your artery function. So you're kind of the whole quote unquote whole food yes. actually yes. has salt added. So in terms of uh, whole food sources of fat, the healthiest whole food sources of fat are nuts seeds and avocados. All right. Very, very good. Michael Greger, our guest today. Nutritionfacts.org is the website. Prostate cancer, advanced prostate cancer. You had a couple of pieces on this. Talk to us about advanced prostate cancer and diet. Is there this hope? This is just so exciting. Mm. So, you know, I, we've known for a while, Dr. D. Nornish proved after he conquered our number one killer heart disease, Dr. D. Nornish moved on to killer number two cancer. Oh. What happens if you take men with early stage prostate cancer, put them on the same kind of plant-based diet and lifestyle program that reversed heart disease? What happened? They reversed the progression wow. of prostate cancer. Wow. I mean, that's just, okay, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And so there's a, there's a randomized controlled trial. I mean, the first study ever showing reversal mm-hmm. cancer with diet. Very exciting. Okay. But that was early stage localized mm-hmm. prostate cancer. What about more advanced stage life threatening disease? That's what we, now there have been case reports, people with, you know, extensive metastatic disease, given just a little while to live, go on a plant-based diet, and cancer disappears. I mean, uh, and then years later, they get a little cocky, backslide a little bit, cancer comes raging back. Um, So there's been these really remarkable case reports, but you never know if those are flukes. You never know if it's just a coincidence. That's why you really have to put it to the test. But we didn't have those kind of tests until recently. So there's been two studies done so far. I'm so excited to do videos about them. And it showed that you take men who've already had what's called a radical prostatectomy. That means they, they remove not just the tumor, they remove the entire prostate gland. In fact, they remove lymph nodes around it. It's really quite a major surgery. But look, if you have uh, you know rapidly advancing uh, cancer, they, you, you may be left with no choice. Okay, but then, so after they got their entire prostate removed, 
all of a sudden they could see that the cancer was growing back, meaning that they have metastatic disease, meaning they didn't get the cancer early enough that it spread. Often it spreads to the bones, and once it spreads throughout the body, then uh, you have to start chemotherapy regimens. Then it gets really quite serious. What if you take these men, men who've already have this progressing metastatic advanced cancer. Is it too late for diet to have an effect? And what happened? No, it's not too late. Even men with advanced cancer, you put people on a plant-based diet and you can get in some, not all, in 90% you can get a slowing of cancer growth. Mm -hmm. But in about half, you can get a reversal in cancer growth even at that late stage by uh, putting people on a plant-based diet. That's really exciting. Now, of course, ideally, we prevent cancer in the first place, yes. so let's not wait for a, for a cancer diagnosis before we start eating healthy. But the good news is even when one has advanced disease, like, you know, uh, advanced heart disease, it's never too late to start eating healthy. Wow. You know, Dr. Greger, I was so thrilled the other day I heard that the American Medical Association is recommending that all meat products be moved from hospital menus. How does that make you feel when you hear something like that? Well, the American Medical Association has not been really leaders historically (laughs) when it comes to uh, these kind of uh, lifestyle changes. So, for example, you know, when the Surgeon General's report came out against smoking back um, in the 1960s, the AMA actually came out refusing to endorse the report. But this is after they had gotten a $10 million check from the tobacco industry. So they have this history of being in bed with some of these industries. Yes. And so really quite at odds with public health. But um, this recent announcement that saying, look, we need to at least get some of the absolute worst of the worst, like processed meat. This is a class one carcinogen, meaning we are as sure the processed meat causes cancer in human beings, and we are that plutonium and cigarette smoke cause cancer in human beings, asbestos. And so we need to at least, let's not feed it to people in the hospitals. I mean, what kind of message does that send? When you go in for open-heart surgery, you come out and they, and they put a burger on your plate, right? I mean, what, what message does that send? What message that sends is we want repeat business. We want you back soon to pad our coffers. I mean, it's really a matter of setting a good example. You know, hospitals were indeed one of the first places where they stopped selling cigarettes. Yeah. I mean, you used to be able to go into a gift shop in a hospital and buy packs of cigarettes. <laughs> and actually, before many other places did, hospitals were one of the first places they said, you know, we're not going to sell cigarettes in hospitals anymore. They can still buy, go out and buy them, yeah. but we should not be setting that terrible example. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we still see McDonald's in children's hospitals. Mm-hmm. We still see, you know, Krispy Kreme, you know, restaurants in, in children's hospitals. And so there's this shift now where all of a sudden the medical community is starting to not just kind of lag behind society change, but actually taking the lead and saying, you know, we really 
need to do a better job about setting an example for health. So I was really excited to read that. Absolutely. You know, I can't think of a better place to put a fast food restaurant than across the street from a hospital. I mean, that just makes sense to me that they would do that. Okay. Dr. Michael Greger has been our guest today. He is the uh, brains behind the nutritionfacts.org website. Check it out. Lots of good information there. Dr. Greger, always a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks for stopping by again. Can't wait to come back. Absolutely. And until next time, this is Charles Mills along with Dr. Michael Greger inviting you to remain heartwise. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on Heartwise. If you'd like more information on how to build and maintain optimum physical, mental, and spiritual health, log on to heartwiseministries.org. HeartWise is a listener-supported program, and your partnership with us would be greatly appreciated. Once again, our web address is heartwiseministries.org. Ministries.org.